One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened they've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys that these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their houses for 10 years All right, so it's old news, I suppose, at this stage, Connor. but we can't let it uh, slip without uh, having a chat about Keith Higgins retiring. So he did it on a Saturday. Um, maybe that was tactical. Maybe not as many people online as there might be during working hours. Who knows? Um, but anyway, he's, pro- he's probably the biggest one from a Mayo point of view to, to leave. He's the most decorated. He's the longest serving, probably the most, high, high, that, the most highly rated out of the Mayo players that, that have gone as well. Like, I mean, he captained Mayo to another 21 title in 2006 and, and won Young Footballer of the Year, won four All-Stars. He's played in uh, six All-Irelands, I think five plus a replay. Um, as we know, Connor, unfortunately, he didn't win any. He's played, he's played, at, centre, <laughs> he's played at centre half forward, he's played at wing forward, he's played at wing back, he's played at corner back. Hard, such a good all-rounder, hard to know really where his best position was. Until the game kind of started changing and cornerbacks became more dynamic, I always used to think he's a little bit wasted in there. Yeah, yeah, he was to a certain, he was to a certain degree. Um, just, just when you mentioned Woody that that when he retired on a on a Saturday and it might be a bit tactical, it, it brought me back to, I think it was 2014, Christmas of 2014, and a statement appeared on Keith Higgins' Twitter page. Uh, it was an iPhone notes message to say that he retired. And uh, it was a Saturday, I think, just after St. Stephen's Day, and it happened to coincide with a, a magical mystery tour that a few people from Ballyhonest were uh, were on at the time. <laughs> it actually made the national media, but uh, it was quickly uh, nipped in the bud, thank God, because Keith Higgins had a lot more years left in him at that stage. But uh, yeah, it, yeah, it's old news, Wally, but it's it, it no less painful, I suppose. He's uh, You make a good point there about it being, it is the most high profile because or it, it's it nearly the one that hits home the hardest because... Keith has been Keith has been part of the furniture for so long. I think he made his debut in two thousand and five. Now, 
some people say David Clark made his in 2001, but Keith has been consistent, you know, consistent throughout. He barely missed a game. I think the, the semi-final against Dublin in 2019 might have been the first game that he was available for that he actually didn't make the starting 15, which goes to show you, you know, the quality that he's had over the years. Um, and just as regards his best position, yeah, you, you have a good point there that like until the game changed, he was still, he was probably one of the best cornerbacks around, but like you weren't the only one that would have thought he was wasted at, at cornerback because Mayo management's James Horn definitely did it. And I, and I think Pat Holmes and Noel Canelli might've tried it for a while, made attempts to get him out of there because they felt that he was wasted and put him at center forward or maybe tried him um, in the half back line as well, rather than rather than just having to, having to play cornerback. But the, the thing with Keith was that it, there was always something, there was always a fire that needed to be put out. You know, there was always a, a marquee forward that needed marking. And especially for, for a long period of his career, I'd say for, you know, in the, in the middle of his career, he was the best around at doing that. And the best certainly for Mayo at doing that. And and it's one of the reasons that why Mayo were at their peak, that they were able to trust one-on-one defenders like Keith Higgins, who's one of the best at it, to go toe-to-toe with the best forwards in the country. So yeah, it's it's inevitable. Like, I mean, he, he, he barely got any game time this year. He got a little bit more than some of the other lads that retired. But it, it was kind of the writing was nearly on the wall that it, that it was going to happen. But but still a bit sad that that it has happened given the career that he's had in in the green and red. Yeah, exactly. There's a performance of his against uh, James O'Donoghue in the replay down in Limerick in 2014. It's doing the rounds online. If anyone's listening, you should look it up because, like, I mean, some of the one-on-one defending, and he won't thank any of his half-back line or his half-forwards. That wasn't the way James Horan played, but he's consistently left one-on-one with James O'Donoghue. Now, it's all Keith's best parts, but there's some brilliant defending in it. And James, I think James O'Donoghue got four from play that day. So, you know, it wasn't all one-way traffic, but I just remember that being an absolutely incredible battle uh, back in the day. What's going on with uh, Colin Boyle? Colin Boyle strikes me as the type of fellow who's already retired. He just couldn't be bothered le- releasing a statement. <laughs> when he does retire, he mightn't bother uh, releasing the statement, will he? But by the... I know that Michael Conroy, Mickey Conroy was on uh, Midwest Radio there at the weekend just, just chatting about the various retirements after Keith Higgins had retired. And uh, he said he's pretty sure that that's it. Mickey Conroy would be a clubmate of, of Colin Boyle's. All right. He, he didn't confirm it, but he's pretty sure that he's committed to another year. And and thank God for that, to be honest. I mean, like, you know, like we don't need another one, but like we, you know, Colin Boyle's 2020, you just, he's like, people forget he suffered a horrific injury at the start of, start of last year. That um, I don't think it was ever clarified exactly what it was, but a pretty serious knee injury. So while he was back at the end of this year, or at the end of last year, he was. He only made a few cameo appearances, so like I, I would imagine that Colin Boyle wouldn't have wanted to to go out like that. And and I like as for the dressing room in general, I think Mayo needs Colin Boyle to hang around. But given the amount of retirement, just with Chris Barrett gone now and Keith gone, I think that the defense, that the, the starting six even could do could do with somebody like like Colin Boyle around because uh, we're we're fairly lacking in experience there at the moment. So it looks like he's going to hang around, and and thank God for that. Okay, right. So maybe he hasn't retired. I'll have to stand corrected on that one. Paul Galvin has been mooted to coach Kerry. Um, Now, he hasn't confirmed anything. It looks like he's been approached. Um, I'd imagine from talking to Paul before, he'd absolutely love to do it because he wants to get into coaching and the Wexford thing didn't work out. He's situated in Mayo, which is a fairly big stumbling block. And it was the stumbling block that made him, you know, have to leave Wexford. But he's not a Wexford man. He's a Kerry man. And he's a very, very proud Kerry man. And it, definitely we want to keep our eyes on this one because anything Paul Galvin can do to pro- to take this job, if it has been offered to offered to him, I'm sure he'll be trying his best to do it. 
Yeah, and with all due respect to Wexford, it's um, it wouldn't have to say like I know that the travel arrangements proved difficult, but it wouldn't have the same pull as being involved with with his native county. Do you know what I mean? So, well, uh, it's man- manager versus coach, you know, manager, as well. coach, manager versus coach. But like interestingly, uh, Willie, he did um, Paul Gavin did a did a interview with Tony Lean there, the Examiner, before Christmas, and he was talking about the Wexford thing, and kind of said how he, he it started off as him being involved as a coach with Wexford. But it just graduated for the fact that they were looking for a manager that he said he'd kind of step in. So I think it started off as a coaching role, which would appeal to the road that he wants to go down on. And then it ended up um, as a manager. So, yeah, it, it's clear that he has that that that, that kind of um, that desire to get into coaching. And and just even from like any time I hear Paul Gavin speak or any time he does some really good columns as well. And I come away thinking differently about the game or thinking about something that I haven't thought of before. You know, he he's uh, he's kind of innovative, innovative like that as well. And. And and I think just given on given what's gone on with Kerry this year, especially with Tony Buckley leaving and the cloud that he left Kerry under, I think the you know some a boost like that, a boost of having somebody with the color of Paul Gavin came in come in, will be brilliant for Kerry. And obviously the the difficulty of living in Mayo will have to be overcome. But yeah. I think given his given his pedigree, given his desire to get into coaching, and given the Kerry connection, he'll do everything it takes, and Kerry will do everything it takes to to, to overcome that. I, we're going to give the examiner two plugs now because you've just plugged the rival podcast and now I'm going to plug a, an interview from Barry O'Shea in the examiner. Um, you're OK. You're allowed to do that, uh, Connor. That's perfectly <laughs> fine. He, Barry O'Shea was in the examiner and he was saying the way the GA has gone, the coach and the strength and conditioning guy are the ones driving the whole thing in terms of atmosphere and the and the work they present to the players every night of training. They're nearly more important than the manager. And I completely agree. Like, I mean, we've had, so, back in the day, had some spoofer strength and conditioning lads and they set the wrong tone and atmosphere at training. You know, trainers who, like, they might be okay trainers, but they, players quickly realise, geez, this lad has a bit of an ego. He loves himself. You know, and just suddenly then, instead of looking forward to it, you're going like, oh God, this lad. Now, I don't think people understand the importance because the manager's not always talking to you, but the, tra- the 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 trainer, the coach, and the strength and conditioning lad are spending way more time in your ear. And if these lads, because I, I think a lot of these lads, they're, 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 a lot of them are well qualified. There's obviously ones that are much better than others, but most of them will get you to a decent level of either fitness or strength and conditioning. You know, but can you listen to these fellas every night go to training? I think this is a huge important part of it. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, and the, the way that the kind of um, intercounty management has gone as well—that the the day of the the manager kind of taking everything and taking the training—that there's too much kind of delegation to be done. So they have to find they have to find coaches and trainers and and S and C guys that they they really trust to 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 deliver their message. So I agree with everything there, bar maybe the nearly more important than the manager bit, because at the end of the day it's the manager that's driving the philosophy of the team. So while he might not be on the grass taking every training drill or uh, everything like that, he has to govern what the coaches and the SNC guys are doing with the philosophy that he wants to implement in mind. So he needs good coaches and, and SNC guys to do it, but you still need a, you still need a, a manager with a, with a healthy enough ego that's, that, you know, or doesn't have a big enough ego that they can't delegate and that they're confident that the coaches and, and whoever they get in, will deliver exactly the philosophy or exactly the style of play that they want to implement. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And Paul, another bit of news on Kerry is Paul Murphy is the captain. So he's the first ever man from Rathmore to be the, the Kerry captain. Rathmore wouldn't have been county champions all too often. They're def- they're not a senior team at the moment, but he's the first one. Aidan O'Mahony is the one I'm kind of thinking of, but they wouldn't have they wouldn't have won one while Aidan was around uh, to be picked. Conor McKenna has an interview in the Irish News there, and I just thought that was one thing that was a little bit in- interesting. Well, number one, People need to watch out for Conor McKenna this year because he said he's working on his fitness at the minute, just getting to that different fitness back up to the right level to bring my game to the next level. Like Conor McKenna has another level to go to here, Conor, is, is basically where, where that line. But that's not what I want to talk to or talk about. He says Gaelic fo- he's talking about the levels of fitness and stuff like that. And he says Gaelic football uh, doesn't stop really. He says you kick a ball over the bar and the keeper has it back in his hands in a second and the game is back on. There's not really much time for recovery. Where an AFL, whereas an AFL, you, you maybe work for 10, 12 minutes of a quarter and then you come off. Um, you have a four minute break and then come back on. He's kind of talking about the fitness of stuff, but it, 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 like I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but it's the Gaelic football being nonstop. You kick a ball over the bar and as the ball is sailing over the bar, the goalkeeper has ran for another ball and he's tapping it to the corner back, right? So the, the game is back playing as the, the umpire is waving the flag. That's fine. Some people think this is fantastic. Oh, it's it's 100 miles an hour. It's great. I don't. And I'll tell you why. I don't know whether you're ever like this in club training or county training and you're playing a 15 versus 15. Like I remember several times, especially Mick O'Dwyer, all the time you would... A, a point would be kicked and the goalkeeper would give it quick to a man that's free and the, the game would be blown up. Wait now, wait now, that's too easy. That's too easy. Now everybody get back on their man. Let's make it a contest. Do you ever get your manager saying something like that? Like, I mean, it in a way, these quick kickouts to an unmarked player, for me to do nothing to the game because the game is too disorganised when that, when that uh, kickout is given and players are all over the place. Whereas I think if the referee was to restart the game, like you can't take the kick out until the referee, like a penalty or like a free, blows the whistle, gives teams a chance to push up, create contests from the kick out. You know, let the TV replay show the bloody replay before we actually don't, you know, miss the kick out. And like, would that would that be a terrible, tiny, small little change to the game? Well, so how would you do it? Like, you, everybody would have to be back in their position. Would the referee give a certain amount of time, or how 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 would you envisage that happening? Well, I don't think you have to let every player get back on their man, but the referee gives a decent, like, say for example, you take a quick free. Like, at what point does the referee say that's allowed or that's not allowed? Do you know what I mean? Like, so the the, the ball goes over the bar, the goalkeeper comes out, puts it onto the tee, and the referee then blows the whistle when he's allowed to kick it out. Now, whether a referee allows everybody to get back into their positions, that's I suppose that's maybe for a referee's discretion or not. Now I'm maybe talking myself out of it when I t- start talking about referees' discretions. Maybe there's a 10-second after a point is scored. Here's another thing. If a goal is scored, the player... You, we're going to talk to Shane Curran after, <laughs> after in part two about his Lakra Gale. Did you see the clip of him taking oh, the penalty? Like th- This fella robbed the penalty off his teammate, scored it, ran to the terrace kissing the kissing 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 his head like uh, what scenes like if you score a goal now in Gaelic football you can't even wave up to the crowd and celebrate because the the kickout's going to come out and you're going to look like a like an Egypt you know I don't know I just think there's an e- a better way to add to the drama of the game number one you'd allow a player to do a, a small celebration and number two you will you will wait until there'll be you know this kickout will be a contested kickout 
Yeah, no, I get it. Just going back on Shane Curran as well. He was wearing those big, massive football goalkeeper gloves. He was nearly doing the jazz hands with it. It was a brilliant scene. Uh, for for anyone who didn't see the the clip, I I'd advise them to go back and watch when, it. When uh, when did when did they go out of out of fashion? Because midfielders always used to wear goalkeeper's gloves. I'm thinking of Kieran Whelan immediately, but th- that doesn't happen anymore. Last person I can remember wearing them is Kieran Whelan. To be honest, yeah. I, I'd I'd love it. I'd love if somebody brought them back. Like like Shane Welsh bringing back the Macassas in the last couple of years. If somebody could bring back those massive, old sport goalkeeper gloves, it'd, it'd be brilliant. So, yeah. To, to, so to get back to your point, well, I suppose yeah, I I I do get that because. Players now are conditioned that like they, they can't even celebrate a goal, but like it's it's got nearly to the stage where you can't even watch to see if your point goes over the bar. Do you know what I mean? Do you know, that's <laughs> yeah. a natural habit. When you kick the ball, you just stand staring at the ball for a few minutes, for a few seconds. But if you do that now, your man is gone. Your man is gone twenty yards away from you, and the goalkeeper's already lining up the quick kick out. And if you're caught doing that, your manager will. You're, you know, your manager will be mad at you because you weren't paying attention. So play, players are so conditioned to do that these days. And I do, I get that, that that's, that's, that's a kind of a lost part of the game that's a bit annoying. The only thing I'll say is, is that your suggestion, for example, to let people back into position or to close to be back into position, would it be something that, that again, favours the favors the strong favors the stronger teams you know like say if if you're playing against Dublin for example and you're giving them another opportunity to get a press on whereas a team in the Leinster Championship for example are playing against them and they find the way to get around that is to get quick kick out kick outs off and again this I haven't thought about this through Willie this is purely hypothetical but it's just the game has moved on to that extent now that I think it would be quite hard to move it back to a situation where you're you know the, the kick outs change that much that a referee has to wait for you know, 10 to 15 seconds. And and even the worst thing about it is the man that's largely responsible for the game moving in that direction is is Stephen Cluxton, who's straight out of the old school. It's it's even not one of the not one of the kind of younger younger cubs that that, that that's kind of been responsible. So I get what you say, Willie. Whether it's going to happen, I don't know. But it does. It, you you are losing something when you're not getting the likes of Shane Curran being able to celebrate the way he did that time. I I I do take your point. Like, how long is he? Is the referee supposed to wait? The referee. It's not the referee's responsibility to look around to see has every man a man like Mikko would have done back in our lease yeah, training. Yeah. You know, like or that's too. I remember shouting at goalkeepers even in those games ah, it's, come on will you wait like this that's yeah. too easy no one's marking anyone like I mean just stop and kick it out I know that was a different era but I, I don't know I just think if I need to take maybe to put a bit of thought in it maybe when the umpire waves his flag there's 10 seconds after that then the referee blows his whistle and if you haven't gotten up to your man within that 10 seconds of the point being awarded which is officially awarded yeah. well then that's that's on you you know the referee maybe count to 10 blow the whistle I don't know I think I think that maybe you know it might add something to the game but look it's hard to know um anyways we're going to know tomorrow connor um when the season is going to start finally well we'll have some clarity on it anyways because um the ga is going to announce they'll obviously have to wait and see how the public health uh situation um happens so we have players all over the country in pretty much the exact same position as they were in last march and last april and one of them is galway all-rounder aiden hart and he joins us on the line now does it feel a little bit like groundhog year aiden yeah small bit of rice um Funny times. Well, we'll find out tomorrow now when the league is put back to. So, kind of just small bit unsure again, a bit like last year. But for look at it, it's January, so I suppose for this month anyway, everyone is trying to get down maybe the the little few extra pounds they put on over Christmas and trying to get a base fitness level again. So it's not too bad. Yeah, well, in a, in a weird way, you're in better shape than you ever have been in January. I'm sure because the, you, you the championship ran into December. 
Yeah, that too. Um, I suppose with the training now in January, we haven't been doing an awful lot of the long distance stuff that you might have been doing in a, in a November or December before, you know. So yeah. we only had about maybe the six week break that brought us into the, the second or third week of January again. Like So it hasn't been too bad. And I suppose, yeah, that base fitness has been there. And look at, I suppose, any any GA inter-county player anyway at the moment doesn't exactly leave tools down for six weeks, you know. Yeah. So everyone is kind of tipping along, doing a bit, and, and just doing the best they can with the with the facilities and sports or lack of. Yeah, and like I mean, from a strength and con- strength and conditioning point of view, you might do more heavy stuff in January, but when you're you haven't had that much downtime, like I mean, does has all that preparation been thrown kind of into a different area? Yeah, absolutely. We're we're extremely lucky, and, and of, of course, he's been mentioned before to have Lucas as our, yeah. our head S and coach, like, and, and he's you know. As a person, anyway, he's just he's so driven, he's brilliant, and so approachable. And we're very lucky to kind of have him on the phone any minute of the day. He makes himself available to us if you need to ask any questions. So we've been extremely lucky that way. I suppose where we where we may be losing out maybe is the the lack of having an open gym to us where we can do collective sessions and stuff like that. So it's just kind of make and do as best you can and. I suppose using using the kind of national parks or whatever blades of grass you can get to keep the running up, but uh, certainly collective wise, I suppose the the gym has taken a bit of a hit that way. Using bags of sugar for your shoulder press there, Aidan, at home in the house. Come here. Have you been able to do a debrief on last year? Like I'm just looking in from the outside, and I know you Galway boys after winning an All Ireland set yourself huge, hugely high standards. I'm looking at last year having been a positive year for Galway. I don't know how you 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 look at it. Yeah, I suppose you're looking right as a player anyway. I completely disagree with you. But <laughs> that's just look at that. Um, yeah, I know we keep mentioning having won that Ireland, but like it seems like you know to a player that seems a long, long time ago now. Um, and of course, in Galway, with with a lot of other counties in the competition, the expectation every year in Ireland. And when you don't, it's of course then um, extremely disappointing, and you have to go back to the the drawing board, like, you know, even yeah. though it was a six-week turnaround, it'll be kind of wrong to say you just pick up and go again because obviously if you, if you do that, you'll get the same result um, this year. So it's kind of back to the drawing board and see what where we went wrong and, and things we can work on. And, of course, doing that personally as well and then trying to bring that to the group, um, which, again, has been, you know, quite difficult when we haven't been, been meeting collectively and, and kind of unsure as to when the league will start. So... Just trying to do our best, really. Like, well, that's it. Like, I mean, what can you do a, d- a debrief on a Zoom call with the full panel? Like, is, is that even possible? Yeah, it, it's hard. I suppose it's hard. You know, I suppose that if you'd ever do a debrief before, you'd get into a room really and, and have a good chat about it. Yeah. Um, which of course makes things an awful lot easier. But no, our contact now has been has been fairly minimal enough. Um, in terms of that and the hurling side of it, it's really just been based around SNC and just trying to get that base in for the season ahead, I suppose. It's very hard to to talk hurling and stuff like that. Now, at the moment, when you're not doing it visibly on the pitch and, and doing your walkthroughs and stuff like that. So that's kind of been parked for the, for the present time, anyway. 
Yeah, come here. Like, I mean, your performance against Limerick was really, really good. You, you, like, I mean, again, I don't want to say you'll be happy with getting close to Limerick because you want to beat Limerick. You beat Tipperary. You should have beaten Kilkenny. You know, you had lo- plenty of plenty of highs during the year. You beat Wexford well. You scored a brilliant goal to beat uh, Tipperary. You ended the year with an All Star nomination. So, like, I mean, from a personal point of view, it wasn't a bad year at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> again, no, I suppose uh, I'd be taking the kind of uh, more prudent approach towards things, to be honest with you. Um, as I said earlier, like, I suppose when you end the year losing, it's it's extremely disappointing. And um, personally, I suppose for myself, you should look at like every year and, and like life itself, you have your ups and downs. And I would have been disappointed personally with my own performance against Limerick, but you know, that's just a person thing. Everyone kind of uh, looks at their own mistakes, really, and you kind of think they were the only mistakes made in games, you know. So that's kind of where, where it ended for me. And I'd be hoping, like, to set that right this year and, and have a look at maybe where we did uh, go wrong. Yeah, there were a few ups, of course, in the year, beating Wexford and, and um, beating Tipperary. But, you know, ultimately, um, the main prize and the main goal is the All-Ireland. And, when you don't achieve that, it is, of course, disappointing for the group. So, like, I mean, are you talking about that ball that you miscontrolled at the end, you know, of, of the Limerick game? Is that is that kind yeah, of what yeah. you're... What you're what, but, like, I mean, I suppose, like, is that your fault or is that, you know, should that ball just been put down the field at that late stage of the game? Ah, no, Lucas, I suppose it was... You play it as you see it as well, like, and yeah. I suppose probably just a, a little bit of lack of composure um, for myself. Anyway, I thought... Um, kind of gave to the the problem that, that ensued afterwards. I think we were a point down at the time and that put them two up. So look, that's just, I suppose that's a personal thing. You always you always look at it uh, on your own side. I should probably know a little bit better now when, I, when I'm there for so long, but everyone has their own kind of personality and character, I suppose. And I would always look at maybe what I could improve on more so than um, what I probably did right in games and, it can be a good way to approach things and I suppose it can also hold you back and it's just trying to find the common ground in the middle. Yeah, maybe it is like, I mean, is this how the game, like you obviously started in 2008, so you've seen huge changes and you've been all over the bloody place. You started out as a corner forward and now you're a corner back. Like, I mean, that type of ball you got at the end of the Limerick game would been unheard of even four or five years ago. Like Limerick have kind of brought this playing everything through the lines into the game where you have to be concentrating non-stop, I presume. Yeah, absolutely, and I suppose it probably started maybe, it probably started maybe 15 years ago when you when you go back to maybe the Cork teams and um, Newtown Chandram how they used to play it as a club team, and just of course it became a more possession possession type game, and we can see that throughout the games in the, the last few years in particular, it's really moving forward, heads up hurling now and just trying to find um, a teammate directly with a pass so. Yeah, I suppose if you were playing cornerback maybe 20 years ago, you wouldn't even be looking at the goalie pucking it out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> It'd be a lot, a lot different game, all right? But that's, yeah, that's the way it is. And I suppose, it, as you said, it depends how some teams set up against you. Um, some teams like to drop their half forwards deep under the puck outs. And of course, some teams then just have, like Limerick in particular, have, have a, a very strong half-back line in the three players that were there in particular this year. So you're trying to, I suppose work the ball through the lines and maybe avoid that area. And uh, sometimes it can be a little more difficult than others.
Yeah, well, that's it. Like, I mean, the skill level has gone through the roof because, like, I mean, I can imagine, you know, towards the end of the game and someone has the ball and instead of giving it down, it give you a scuttery one along the ground where you have to control. Like, I mean, do you know what I mean? Everything now is just completely based around touch and it doesn't matter what kind of ball you're given, it's going through the lines and it's up to you to, to make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's fine margins now, really. And I suppose, look at the real the test of your character and skill is can you do it um, in those pressure times you know that's when it, when it is really important like you could you could be doing a drill a training there and the drill could be absolutely flying and, and it's just I suppose the difference between the winners and losers is can you do it at those um, particular times and I suppose for myself I didn't at the end of the game and that's something I'd be looking to improve on anyway definitely um, going into the season but there's no doubt the skill level has skyrocketed um, in the game I even see from training our own young lads there um, in the secondary school in Tulla and Clare um, last year like the skill level they have in, in drills and, and in matches is is really incredible and you'd wonder when you were their age of 15 or 16 was your skill level up to that and I wouldn't have thought so um just how meticulous they are and they mind themselves so well. So there's no doubt the game is, is seriously improving and continuing to improve year on year. No, it definitely is. Come here, the goal against Tipperary, that that just finished off what was an absolutely... Well, it didn't really finish it off because it was the 66th minute. But, like, I, I know you played corner forward. You've played everywhere, really. And, like, I mean, was it in your head to go for a point at all? It was 66 minutes. A point would have put one in it. You were well in the game at that stage anyway. But, like, I mean, from that distance out, you buried it in the bottom corner. Yeah, um... I'd say if I if I watched the replay and then had to uh, do it over again, I probably would have tapped it over. <laughs> I don't look at it. It's just, it's sport at times, isn't it? It's instincts and you need a slice of look. I probably didn't realise, maybe how, not that I was 40 or doubt or anything, but I probably thought I was a little closer to goal um, <laughs> at the time. But as I said before, I just happened to be on the end of a, which was a great team move, really. Like if you think back, just thinking in my head now, the start of it, I think Joe was just going to have a shot where it was kind of you know, reflections up to 2017 final against Tip where he thought he was just going to slot this and the Tip defender made an excellent block down but you know, Joe being Joe like he goes back and wins the ball then again like which was you know, incredible it could have been very easy for a player maybe to step aside and let someone walk out past you but of course he doesn't and Brian Concannon to Jason I think to Adrian Toohey and then I just ended up on the end of it, but you know it was a really great, really good um, team goal. And look, thankfully, I suppose at the time um, it went in, and it was a great thing personally. Again, at the time, but as I was trying to to say to a lot of people, I suppose in the locality and at home, that when I got home from Limerick that evening, I didn't really think about it much after that, to be honest, because you knew what was coming down the tracks um, a week later, and I suppose maybe yeah. that was the the prudent side of me coming out again, you know, trying to just get on to the next task at hand, like, and that was kind of the way it finished. Yeah, I think it was Jason Flynn that opened the whole thing by kind of sending a cross field. Two, he gave you a loopy hand pass where you had to wait for ages for it to drop down into your hand as a temporary <laughs> defender, as a temporary defender is sprinting out towards you. Uh, no, that was all right. I'm sure. As they say to Dado, the more left-handers would be awkward enough. Anyway. <laughs> come here, come here. Which which is your favourite position then? Um, I suppose in the backs anyway would be to look at anywhere at all if you can get on the field is great. Um, yeah. So 
anywhere at all you can get on. But yeah, I did start in the forwards and I always played underage with the club. And uh, coming into about, I suppose, 2015 or 2014, actually, um, I started playing wing back mainly then with the club. Jerry Spellman from Cambridge was over us at the time. And sure, I just grew into the position. I suppose I loved the fact of facing the ball and I suppose having the pace maybe to get back if I made any mistakes or anything like that. It's great to yeah. take you out of trouble. But uh, in 2008, I played a good bit actually in our training games under Gerlach Nan as a cornerback. And I played a bit in the backs for UCC when I was in college down there as well. So, yeah, I suppose like that, sometimes when you're when you're versatile, you can end up kind of nailing down the position nowhere. So yeah. it was great, I suppose, to settle maybe as a as a wingback or cornerback and kind of try and nail down a position there. Well, that's it. I think, is it, is it fair to say that good hurlers can play anywhere? Like, I mean, they kind of say that in football, but I could see Joe Canning playing centre-back easily. Oh, absolutely, no doubt. Look, he has the hands, the wrists, the two sides, the brain. So, and we've seen that down through the years. Look at Kyle Hayes most recently there and, and Parik and Tommy Welch would say going back through the years. And I know there's there's loads more like, but yes, if you just compare all of those together, they're, they're really good hurlers, great in the air, great off both sides and uh, great thinkers of the game. So I suppose it's easy for them to slot in. Yeah. Come here, you mentioned that Loch Nan brought you in in the panel in 2008. I didn't realise, I thought he brought you in um, as a forward. I think he might have given you, or, oh, yeah, you played under Loch Nan um, in 2008 and then you were back on it in 2010. I'm just trying to picture yeah. Ger, Ger Loch Nan in a dressing room versus Michal Donoghue <laughs> in a dressing room. <laughs> yeah, I suppose a little bit different, but times have changed as well, you know. But uh, no, look, at I, I, enjoy, I really enjoyed the year in... Um, 2008 with Ger, which I suppose I was I was new onto the panel at the time I was only 18, 19 years of age I, was, I suppose it's the way you would encourage any young player not to be now is I was kind of really happy to be in there now I was still given everything I didn't take from my I wasn't just happy to be there or anything like that you know but um, I suppose when the year ended I didn't feel as disappointed as I would be now if that makes if that right. makes sense and I suppose that's what you'd be trying to encourage any young players coming on to panels and that the time is now that not to be thinking, oh, I'll be here now and I'll feel my way for two or three years and, and then get going. you got to try and really hit the ground running and that's something I suppose that it is hard to get out of younger players. We've seen maybe Conor Whelan has done that um, in recent times and Brian Concanon and I suppose Adrian Mullen there and Kilkenny and Owen Cody where you've seen them really um, coming to their own in their first year or two. And uh, I suppose it's trying to get the younger lads to do that now um, and to, to put the pressure on, on lads that are there for a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, look, there's no doubt, doubt about that. There's not too many players come out and, you know, really make a mark in their very first year. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, I suppose, with the physicality and the way the game has gone now, um, it can be hard, but I suppose the teams that can unlock that um, will be better players going forward. Yeah. Come here, you're a teacher. So, like, I mean, this whole COVID thing has had a direct impact on your career. Are you are you one of the teachers that back the union that you want to do it from home or would you like to be in the class? Um, look, I suppose the number one thing is health and I can only speak for myself. I'm, I'm uh, you know, I suppose at my age or whatever, I would like to be in the, in the classroom, but that's only a personal thing. I can't speak for... For my colleagues, I can't speak yeah. for students that might have somebody vulnerable at home. So, of course, that's completely taken out of your hands. And then 
your own opinion is irrelevant and it doesn't really matter. But we're working away now online at the moment. In fairness, the kids have been, they, you know, they've been excellent. Like, I'm sure it's not easy in some areas, um, you know, without Wi-Fi and stuff, you're, you're snookered straight away. But yeah. the kids have been have been excellent and they're really growing into it. And it's up to us then to, you know, to keep them engaged over the next few weeks and keep the lessons interesting. And I know education is only... It's a big part, but it's only, you know, one part of school as well. And you would miss the dialogue with them and, you know, the bit of crack and, and stuff like that. And even training the teens in, in school and the chat with your own colleagues and things like that. So, you know, as we referred to, I suppose, before we started the call, you'd be, you'd be, you're thinking that you're starting to lose it a small bit uh, in this <laughs> month. And I suppose that's just the lack of communication and meeting people. But look, at, um, we're lucky to be healthy and there's a lot more people that would, would hope to be the same way and uh, we have to be grateful for that. Yeah, well, that, that's what I keep reminding myself before instead of cracking up is that, look, people are, other people are in a much worse situation. But like, I mean, that I can only keep repeating that to myself so, so long, like, you know. But and another thing with you, Aidan, is that your parents have a pub in Gort, so they're directly affected by it as well, even, in, even worse, because you're continuing to work even though it's online, it's not as, you know, enjoyable. But your parents' pub, I presume, hasn't been open. Well, unless you do, no. unless you do food. No, no, so no food. So we'd be traditional, really Irish pub, I suppose. So pub has been closed now since uh, last March. We got that small bit of reprieve. Um, was it September, October time? I think we could have the fifteen outdoors or whatever. So that was maybe for for two weeks or so. But no, um, being completely closed. And for look at it, it's it's very hard on them as well. Um, especially with dad there <laughs> at home, who would um, would be maybe the opposite of myself would would talk hurling twenty four <laughs> hours a day. So he just loves you know meeting people and having the chat. But uh, it, it's a good job he um, they have a bill phone at home and, and he's free calls to other landlines because there's some nights there <laughs> I've been told that he's uh, he's been staying on calls for two or three hours. So <laughs> um, that's that's probably keeping him going as well. And sure much like ourselves, look at we're younger, I suppose, and we're out and about a small bit. And it's for those that are, that it's very hard as well, you know, for the older generation that are, that aren't used to, to being kind of, I suppose, taller to do or, or stay indoors. It's, it's harder on them as well. And they, they certainly miss um, the dialogue and the interaction with other people because it's really, a, I suppose, I suppose an old Irish thing, isn't it? To get out there and talk to people. Whereas, yeah, I suppose all, all the younger people could wouldn't mind if we got a day or two <laughs> without any contact, but um, it is tougher on them. And sure, look at hopefully rolling into the summer, things might open up again. Hopefully, rolling into the summer, anyone passing Gort can call into the pub and it'll be open. That's what we can all hope for. Absolutely, and you'd miss, you know, I'm sure that they miss that too. The the spontaneous side of of who was going to come in the door next, you know, that yeah, kind of yeah. thing, like this down through the years their dad would have and friends especially from all over Ireland and some that might be back from America and England and they'd drop into the pub and you know it, it's great to see them and catch up on on old stories and times and even for myself lads I would have hurled um, against over the time would be stopping in I suppose on stag parties and all those those kind of things that you kind of feel now did they ever happen before but <laughs> hopefully now over the summer um, it would be great now to, to have that interaction with people again it would, of course. Liz, I'm putting a visit into my diary anyway, Aidan. Come here, thanks very much for taking the More call. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Okay.
I work as a policeman at Garda Shikana down, down the store street and I'm coming back out and there's a cohort of loyal Tyrone fans still up in the stand as you come back out and they're roaring at me, hey Toffrey, you free state bastard. <laughs> 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 and, and, and next thing I hear, you have no fucking jurisdiction up here. <laughs> so Shane Curran stars in the latest Lake Regale on TG Cahar and it's on television tonight. It's a very enjoyable episode, I have to say. I watched it this morning and Shane joins us on the line now. Enjoyable for you to watch back, Shane. I presume you've seen it already. I haven't actually, Wooly, funny enough, no. Um, I've, all I've seen is the snippets of, of um, what's been shown in the adverts, to be fair. And uh, normally, in normal times, uh, I think all of the, the people that have been, been uh, around the Lockcraft would meet up and that you'd, you'd have your night out maybe two or three weeks with your friends and those that, that uh, participated in the show. But unfortunately, with, with obviously lockdown and COVID, that uh, hasn't been possible. So, uh, no, you, you're probably more more aware of what's in it than I am, uh, Willie, to be honest about it. So I'm, I'm shooting in the dark. Right, OK, well, I have to. Well, listen, you can trust me. It's a very good episode. It's a nice bit of recognition as well, Cake, to be fair. Ah, look, you know, I suppose um, Joe Malloy the other day, I think, you know, when he said that, when Locker Gale come calling, it's a bit like the Oscars, I suppose. And look, um, it's a huge, huge honour, not so much, you know, obviously on a personal level, but I think obviously for people that I played with, um, for my family, indeed, um, Sharon, my long-suffering wife and my two kids, um, uh, mum and dad, but obviously that mum has passed on and, and dad is is uh, still alive. But um, and and you know the clubs I played with, I suppose, and the players I played with. Um, I, I'd like to extend a big thanks and and uh, look at when when people deem you worthy of something like this. It's it's a huge honour. I think um, I think I'm only the second goalkeeper, and and uh, Dermot Hardy, I think from Roscommon was the only other one as well from our county. So. Look, there are probably many people, more people, more deserving of it than I, but um, just, just delighted. And, and, and uh, it's something that'll be there, I think, you know, for, for the kids and grandkids in time and whatever else comes along, please, God. So I want, Camilla, I want to start with, the, you said you haven't seen it yet. You've only seen the promo, the promo clips. Well, the best promo clip I've seen of it, I don't know how many are out there, is the penalty in the minor final in 1989. So Galway are leading the match by a point for anybody who hasn't seen this yet. Is it, I hadn't seen this. this these are incredible scenes. Galway are leading uh, by a point. You have a, a young Gannon fella, is it, that was supposed to take the penalty and tap it over the bar to draw up the game. And this is going to a replace. Pretty much the last kick of the game. And you had other ideas, Cake. You come running from behind him. And in fairness, what, as good a penalty as you'll ever see. <laughs> well, to be honest about Willie, I had a bit of a tease because I'd been the, the nominated penalty taker and I'd missed one previous in the game. Oh. So um, I'd missed one about uh, in the first half and uh, hit the crossbar. And, um, you know, to me, when you're the penalty taker, you're the penalty taker, whether you lose one, miss one or not. But the instruction came for, for Glennon to kick the ball over the bar. Now, to be honest about it, if you look at the video, it took him about a half an hour to set the bloody thing up and, <laughs> and, and look back at it. And, and all he was doing was tapping it over the bar from 14 yards. So I kind of, I suppose, I said to myself, Jesus, a bit of an opportunity here, you know, so bang. Um, 
I was a bit annoyed. I look at it was it was it was one of those things that you shouldn't have done. But um, I, I'm I, I'm forever grateful that it did hit the net because if it didn't, I'd be in the in the Amazon forest for the last thirty years trying to figure out how to how to get back to Roscommon uh, somewhere with, with with my head my head held anyways uh, between well, the like, shoulders. So, so. so the fact the fact that you'd missed a penalty, you overruled the manager, you you ran in front of one of your teammates to take this penalty and you ended up scoring. This goes against everything a teammate and a, <laughs> and a player on a team should do. Absolutely. I have to hold my head, hands up there. It was it was really, uh, it was impulsive, uh, but it was also <laughs> wrong at the time. <laughs> no, it was, but, uh, no, but there, it was wrong. Like you scored it, but like, I mean, there's no doubt it was wrong, but like what a bit of drama all the same. Well, it was drama, all right, but the drama was only, really, <laughs> there was no drama there. The drama was only beginning really afterwards because, uh, you know, we, we were the, the, the senior game obviously came on after that and we took our place in the stand and everyone was congratulating us on the whole lot, the whole shebang. So we went back with the senior team back to the Travelers' Friend as it was at the time in Casa Bar and we, we were having our dinner and I can never, I'll never forget because these three fat fellas, I mean, you, know, the, you, you know the kind of, you know you're the archetypical kind of county board book, you know, the, the suit on them and the big belly and the, the three of them marched in just took the cup up off the table and said, sorry guys, God, we have won this particular show, sorry, <laughs> we're, we're looking at them out the door. But it soon became pretty serious because um, you know the world was breaking that that the game had been awarded to Galway and there was a somber kind of a journey back on the bus to Roscommon and the first stop was was Fitzmaurice uh, Fitzmaurice was in Ballinlaw and it was the the lead story on the news so um, it became pretty kind of it kind of got out of hand in the seriousness of it I suppose right and, so the, and so, to so, be honest so, when you were on the bus you went from hero out in the pitch when you thought you had won it to the, the referee saying there was that you were inside the 21 when the penalty taker was taken and therefore the penalty was ruled out so when when you realised the cup was taken off you did you go from hero to everybody looking at you I think well, like you know, you kind of just say, I don't know what's going on. You kind of, kind of playing thick thin, like you know, I do my job, but anyhow, what, <laughs> what can you do? You know, I mean, uh, I, I just remember the day. It's been very, very. I mean, the media were at our house, and then there was a lot of stuff and local stuff then. And there was a big meeting in the hide between the senior team and the senior team were, were threatening to, to veto the match and the replay. And anyhow, look, a common sense kind of ruled through and Galway to be fair offered a replay uh, the following which was 10 days after actually in Castlebar um, I, I, and to be honest though, the one person that's, that's really missed in all this is John Cosgrove who was the referee you know and I've never met John since before or after the replay uh, he done the replay um, and um, I, I think you know it, it led to, to his refereeing career um, being curtailed but a, a lovely man a, gen, a gentleman and a Unfortunately, um, that those incidents or that incident um, probably <laughs> curtailed his refereeing career going forward. I think he ended up being a very good administrator. But uh, we, found, we actually, funnily enough, we got a penalty in the replay in the first seven minutes of the of the, of the replay um, in 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 Castlebar, uh, which we won uh, by I scored the scored the penalty and uh, we won the game with a goal in extra time in injury time. Uh, by a guy by the name of Eddie Ennis, uh, who was from St. Bridget's, who never played football after, would you believe, or very rarely. And, and uh, we ended up and beaten by um, a very famous Derry team led by Anthony Toll and Gary Coleman in, in oh, yeah. 1989. 
Right. Okay. Jeez, that was a that it was a, that was it was it was a fair year. And like, I mean, when when you see that penalty being taken, you think you're after running up from the goals, but you're obviously a, you're a forward at underage level, and then you're called into the senior panel as a forward in 1990. Uh, well, I've been I've been a forward really all my career, really, um, you know, underage career in, in Gaelic football. Um, I made my debut for a scrum in 1990. I think actually against Down, who went on to win the Ireland the following year, because that time you'd make your debut. Um, the, the league during the winter that started yeah, in yeah. October and you had October, November then you had the, the drinking sessions in December and January you were trying to get fit for the February recall so uh, yeah I made my debut in in, in, um, in 1990 against Down uh, played in Crow Park actually that, that year as well against Dublin in the league we got hammered and I remember that quite well because it was the, the day be, the day of an Arsenal Tottenham Hotspur match fucking <laughs> <So laughs> Dublin kicked the shit out of us Dublin better by about 20 points or something but that was my, my intro into inter-county football and then I, I, I played all my club football outfield for almost well, up till I was about 27, 28, 29 29 I think actually when I when I got married and came to Bridget I really um, ended in, in 1999 playing playing outfield and my back was get, giving me an awful lot of jib and I was picking up injuries so um uh, yeah, I ended up going back into goal, but I'd always played played outfield uh, in goal in soccer. So I played at seven or eight years League of Ireland experience in goal with with Athlone and and all my formative soccer with Castlery Celtic was always played in goal as well. So it was kind of it was kind of a, a hybrid kind of a, a mixture, really, you know. So I'm I'm wondering, like, did you enjoy goalkeeping? Because you you strike me as somebody, and it made sense to me when I understood that you were a full forward and a scoring full forward, you know, and really enjoyed the game. You always struck me that you were bored in the goals kick. That and that, like, I mean, you used to run out the field. Um, you know, maybe you take a one two or you go up the field. I think you were just kind of getting into the game. <laughs> you know, like I mean, wanted to like psychologically, were you? Did you have to actually stop yourself and say, "Here, hang on a second. This is nothing like what I what I am used to." Not really, no. Because um, look at that. When you play outfield, as you know, you kind of have a certain you have a certain skill set. Anyhow, you know, you you generally your skill set is elevated over 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 the goalkeepers in particular. And if you talk about goalkeepers nowadays, um, but in my, in my day, in my time, um, I had that skill set, skill set as an outfield player and I couldn't understand why goalkeepers were being held back. You know, you could play, you, for that time forwards would never chase you. So once you've gone past them, you're all magically nearly a, a free man, you know. Yeah. And we often discuss this at training and practice. Look, if I have the ball and I can come out, what's the point in just kicking it 45 or 50 yards away to nobody and maybe 50-50s? If I can come with the ball and create an extra man, well, then that, that frees somebody else up. And it's not like now where your full forward line drops back to your 45 or even your halfway line and allows the goalkeeper or the defence to bring the ball out unchallenged. Um, you know, when I was bringing it out, you'd be bringing it out because to create the extra man or you'd have to beat a forward or you'd have to play a one-two. But that was kind of something that was built into anyhow because you were an outfield player. It was yeah. only just you were doing it from a different position and because it was different, people didn't people didn't understand, you know, the reasons why you would do this. But, but I was very fortunate. I had really good managers who actually could see the benefit of it and that the team wasn't suffering for creating an extra man or, or giving that pass that was taken out 
forwards or taking up resistance or whatever it may be. Um, so so you're, yeah, you were I mean, you you were before your time really. Like I mean, we we you talk about the goalkeepers kicking forty fives. You were doing that regularly in the nineties. Short kickouts. You were doing that regularly in the nineties. The forays up the field, like Graham Brody. You know, has everybody thinks of Graham Brody, whereas you were doing that in the nineties. In the nineties, it, it took a little bit of a while for it to catch on, maybe. Well, from certainly nineties and 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 most most of the noughties, um, but but like to be fair, Woody, we live in a different era now. I mean, that time games weren't really covered that much, you know. I mean, we we've got brilliant coverage now of seeing the likes of Graham and seeing the Comerfords and seeing Sean Pattons and you know seeing the, seeing the, um, David Carrots, Rob Henley, Stephen Cooks, and all these guys, and they're getting brilliant exposure, which is. Fantastic, you know, and I think the game is is much better now than it was in my day, or your day, or anyone else's day. I think the players are much better, they're much fitter, the skill set is better, and the goalkeepers are better. You know, now I do believe that you know they're better in some. I don't think that we still have got the perfect goalkeeping. Um, a lot of the goalkeepers we have haven't got all of the skill sets. Some of them are good kickouts, but they're not really good shot stoppers. Some of them are good in the air, but they're not good shot stoppers. They're not good kickout merchants. But there's a lot expected of the Gaelic goalkeeper now, and a lot got to do. A lot of that's got to do with obviously the exposure, Steve and Tuxton and the Dublin team. But yeah, there was a few. You know, I, I'm happy to say, just delighted. You know that, you know. I was doing it maybe a lot earlier than anybody else, and and but I couldn't do that if I didn't have really good managers and good players as well. Yeah. Who would say, well, yeah, okay, I'll cover for Shane. I remember if if when when David Casey was fullback or John White, did know that if I got the ball, I caught the ball twenty twenty five yards out from going, there was nobody beside me that I was going to set up the attack from there, and they just sit back. And we never like we, it was very rare occasions. If I, I can't really remember any that. Um, you'd leave the ball behind you or you were tackled and lost the ball or the ball went in over your head or anything like that but it was it just a very good communique between us all and uh, look at as I said it was down to the managers really Tobin when he came in he, he let us do our thing um, Tommy Carr said look you go and work on your kickouts with the players he just left it to us because to be fair a lot of the managers didn't have the expertise anyhow they didn't yeah. they don't know about goalkeeping they don't know about the dynamic of the game and obviously Stephen has taken it on another level and, and other teams and players have taken it on another level but um, look at the you know the one one I kicked again against Sligo in 2004 I think still is a record for a goalkeeper to score a goal and a point in the same match um, so these type of things um, you know that's not bad it's, it's, it's good not to be it's... part it's good, it's good to be part of that journey you know and good to be part yeah. of but you couldn't do it without the players you, could, you couldn't do it unless you practiced it unless you trained and um, you know, the likes of Karen Mannion were great midfielders like um Fergal O'Donnell, Stephen Lohan, another top class midfielder. I remember we were taking short kickouts for from midfielders to the corner back uh, position back fifteen, twenty years ago. But to be honest about it, a lot of that came as well from if you remember back to nineteen if you ever look back on it, the nineteen ninety eight All Ireland final. And I remember Martin McNamara and, and I used to, we obviously play FBD league games against each other. Martin was a really, really, really top, top, top keeper. And himself and Walsh had kind of perfected this short kick out over his left shoulder that nobody really kind of cottoned onto. And they destroyed Kildare with that particular tactic in the All-Ireland Final in 1998. Now Martin retired after that, he's a bit older than me, but he was a really top class exponent of the short kick out and Mahoney must have just seen it and 
coach them and just encourage them really. Yeah. And and, and said, a, a, a lot of those things, work, you know. Yeah, a lot of those things back then, Cake, like you mentioned, are almost done between players rather than an actual tactic from the manager. It's almost like from a, from a conversation you might decide to do it yourself. <clears throat> well, yeah, and I think you, if you look at the likes of Thuxton with Dublin, if that's coming from, it's driven by 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 the players. That's not driven by Jim Gavin or anybody else, or it's driven by the players because you. You've got to see the game. Managers and coaches have got to see the game through the lens of the player, not through the lens of themselves. Because at the end of the day, it's it's not them, it's not Jim Gavin that makes the decision on the pitch. It's the Stephen Cluxon. So they they have to be facilitated by the Jim Gavins. But the players, you've got to see the game through the lens of the player. That's usually usually important. So the players are confident in making those decisions themselves without rancor or, or ridicule from the manager if it goes wrong. And you, you hear them talking now, they practice three and four hours a week, probably in Dublin's case, they practice two or three hours a day at that. But a lot of counties, it has to come from the player. It has to be player-driven. But it also has to have uh, the, 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 the kind of newness of the manager to, to overlook it and say, yeah, well, okay. You're comfortable with it. I'm comfortable with it, and, yeah. and you go and play. Um, I think that's that's really the, the key to it. The, the players are so comfortable now executing what the practice that um, they can do with short, long, medium, whatever it is. But the game has changed now. I mean, in our day, in my day in particular, well, like I'm only retired from club football five or six years, so I played right into my mid forties. But in my inter-county days. It really was a six on six. So your six backs matched your six forwards, and you had a big, you had a big void in around the middle of the field where you were kicking to two on two, or possibly maybe a three on three if you had you had a drop out wing forward or drop out wing back or that may be tall. So the, the, the space is more than as great as there are now. So you take the Dublin short kick out game. Well, that's facilitated by by the opposing team dropping off two players. It makes the short kick on very easy for somebody that has the skill set of the goalkeeper. Yeah. Space in Crow Park is so bloody simple. To I mean, you, you know, you can kick it. Sorry, it when you have a four on six, it's much, much more difficult than a six on six. You know, so, um, and now that the squeeze, the press has come on, it's going, it's, you have to adapt a little bit better. So you have pattern going on to beat that. So I think it's all really good. I think, I think the game is brilliant now. There's more tactical awareness. There's more things. More, it's more inventive. It's more creative. It's more innovative. Players have to think a little bit better. And that's why I think we have a better product. So you had some great years with Tommy Carr. He made you captain and leader of the team. Um, you know, and you responded really well to that. And then John Mohan came in in 2008. And he, he did the opposite. He dropped you along with four other established players. He pretty much finished your career. I'm wondering, like you're around the circuit on different shows and stuff. Have you ever bumped into Mohan after that? Oh, I have. Like, I've bumped into him numerous times. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, like at the end of the day, I think, you know, hey, look, it's, it's a beaten dock now. It's done. It's dusted. What really annoyed me at the time, I'll never forget, I was in the office and Sharon came in to me and she said, look, this is the way, and this is what to think of you now. And I said, what are you on about? And there's this heading over the one of the front uh, of the local papers, you know, the famous five are dropped. And the, the connotation at the, around it at the time was we were kind of hard men. We were hard to handle. We were, and yeah, maybe we were, but we were also top top players and, and yeah. funnily enough I was actually coming into probably one of me, me the best time of my career I was 33 34 I was playing really super football uh, so was Frankie to be fair and, and Nigel Mixon and all them and, 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 and Frankie was an all-star 
there was a bit of a fallout, no doubt, from Tommy's era. Um, the lads may have felt, you know, that they were hard done by. Um, but I, I don't think I was ever kind of in pigeonhole in that group. But there was a cohort inside the county who gave Mohan bad advice. And uh, I think, you know, if John looked back on that now, uh, um, he'd say that, you know, he. one thing I'd always say about managers and when you become a manager yourself, always give players the opportunity to play themselves off the pitch. Yeah. Don't drop people. Just don't drop people or avoid dropping people. And that's the advice to give to any young one, any young guy now. Don't drop people just because you hear somebody else say something. You make your own mind up on them. Can they perform for you? Because like I would have been known as a maverick. I would have been I would have been hard to handle. But I would I wanted the best. and I still do. You want the best. You want the the real best opportunity to be the best you can be and we in fairness Stephen Banahan who was our chairman at the time and Tommy Keenai before him they, they made sure the players were well looked after Tommy Carr was brilliant he made sure the players were well looked after you know and, and, and to be and, fair and, we got to learn in quarter finals yeah but what uh, would, but what, just didn't see what, that what would Mah- what what would Mohan say back to you if you were to ask him? Like, would you have a serious conversation about it, or would you just be kind of half messing and you know a bit of a joke, but being serious as well? Like, would would he would he? No, because I, you I were you had you. I've never sat down and have it. I know where I know exactly where it came from. So, um, you know, it's, it's actually quite funny because we were playing. Uh, we Bridget's were playing Salt Hill in in uh, in the kind of club championship. Um, 2005 chronic final and look at by all by all accounts I really read all the reports I actually give it that particular day it was an exhibition of, of goalkeeping and kicking the ball out and this the Salt Hill guys came afterwards actually and asked them to come up and prepare them for, for um, their All-Ireland semi-final with kickouts and things like that and nobody could understand in Roscommon why the five of us were like more together but in particular you know there was one or two of us who, who were known to be really good with young lads, we were known to be, you know, we were known to be kind of encouraging young people along and bringing them together and right. wanting them to do the best. But it's like in any small community, you know, um, you've got people who've got their own agendas, uh, you've got people with their own mechanisms of wanting to handle things. And unfortunately for, for Mon, it ended up being a real black mark on his on his CV because he was hounded out really by the supporters in the end. Uh, he didn't ever get off on the right foot. Results went bad. But I don't necessarily. I, it's the people inside the county, um, actually, some of them weren't even farmers. Coming funnily enough, but one or two were that had their own agendas against whoever it was, whether it was me or Janine or one of the five of us or the five of us in total. And they just they just blackened us and they gave Mom that opportunity to get rid. But yeah. he never really recovered from it and. You know, that's that's his look at that. That was his mistake. I felt at the time, uh, I was very, I was writing in the in the champion here and things like that. To always give players the opportunity to play themselves off, or yeah. at least say, well, okay, you come in. This is the way I operate. You operate under this particular structure, or you don't. And uh, not to get that chance, I think, was wrong. Uh, and for to finish the way to finish with. With the kind of big queries and question marks over whether you were um, divisive or not, um, wasn't right then, and I think as I said in the program, it's not right now either. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen if you were from uh, a certain uh, or as I think I said at the thing, uh, if you wore the suit or the state, uh, it wouldn't happen.
Well, yeah, that's the thing. I completely agree. Like, I mean, every leash manager, new manager always gave me a chance. They might have got rid of me after, but at least you have to respect them for giving you the chance to maybe play your way, play your off team. Come here, one funny couple of random ones before I let you go, Kick. Okay. 2003 Connacht final against Galway. Um, you ha- you put Vaseline on your hand and you rubbed it into the gloves of what, the Galway keeper Keane, was it? Alan Keane, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, he, did he drop any? Yeah. Is that what? No, uh, is this a record? To be was, honest about it, it was a fucking harebrained idea. But um, Adrian Tully was it was a was an masseuse at the time. He was, a, he was a, a physio at the time. Uh, Adrian's a great guy. He was actually Adrian played in goal for Roscommon um, Roscommon uh, hurlers. A uh, great goalkeeper, brilliant goalkeeper. He was Davy Fitzgerald like, you know. But um, Tull and I would always be talking. Like I'd be down with Tull maybe twice, three times a week. Is there any way we can get an agent? This, that, the other. I said, you know what, Tull? I think we could put gloves, Vaseline on the gloves of Kane, and if nothing else, it'll disrupt them. And if it's windy or wet in 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 in, in what do you call it in Pierce Park, which normally always was, um, it might disrupt them. You never know. Fancy winds to throw in. We let one in on top of Carl, and we'll see what goes on. You know. So um. Oh, so so sorry, going sorry. around. Sorry to cut you off. So you, there's two parts of this. So either he doesn't notice that it's on it and it slips through his hands, or he notices that it's on it and it gets inside his head. Which 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 kind of angle were no, you going? What happened was, you know, when you finish at the, at the, you know, you and I know I knew Kano very well because his mum and dad actually were building a house over over in. Uh, <laughs> it's actually very funny because they're building over over and um, where the club is there and um, part of Joyce's club as well, Killer Irvin. And Alan's mother and father were building a house and I'd be there regular enough and I'd see Alan and we'd always be chatting and blah, blah, blah. So I got a chance to just, you know, after the after the walk around, you know, the, the, what they call it, the, the parade and that. Yeah. Alan had a bee, I was making a beeline for Alan. Just give me five, Alan, blah, blah. Big, <laughs> big, he had a big hand and I had a big hand. Bang, the big swab of, swab of Vaseline onto his hand. And he was running down and then I could see him turning around. He's only just <laughs> getting this now, right? And Manny was going... Manny was going balubas, right? He was going ballistic at this, right? And uh, I could see them then sitting down. Somebody said, changed the gloves and all that. And he realised that there was Vaseline on them, you know. But I told her already, my, my new set of gloves down at the goal for me. And then, uh, I, like, it was, it was all right for me. Look, it mightn't have been a great thing to do, but at the time, it was fantastic. You know? That's <laughs> a great idea. Was that the, the only time you did the Vaseline trick or did it become a regular thing? Oh Jesus! No, it's the only time because after that, really, it's only world without really that you know you have to watch what's going on, um, you know <laughs> that type of thing. You <laughs> know, Dublin, I know Dublin that year as well, I think, and and Cluxton uh, uh, was, uh, of course, again the march around the whole lot, and you know how you normally shake hands with nobody was shaking hands with me anymore, and I couldn't fathom it out. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Obviously, Manny and a few of the boys and let them know watch watch card or whatever it was. But look, it was one of those things. I was looking for a bloody bit of an age, you know. So, uh, Galway were, were probably better than us at the time. The war and and um, we were just looking for some way we could get a get a little bit of an age on them. Uh, funny enough, we had a good year that year. And I think that was our first trip, uh, first professional trip kind of training in the manga and things like that. So it was very good. So word word had got out by this stage, and Cluxton was too wise for you and pulled his hand away. 
Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. He wasn't the only one. Like, I mean, there'd be, there'd be plenty more. You know, you could say in the league games as well. No one would shake hands. No one, no one acknowledged <laughs> you at all. You know, so I just fucking gave it up after that. You shake hands after the game, all right. The game was over. That was that was the end of it. You know, so um, yeah, it was funny. It was, it was just uh, one of those things. You know, supposed to get a reputation for trying stuff, and and then people avoid you. You know. <laughs> yeah, come here, to classic. A, a bit of a weird one to finish up on here, cake. It's the blood, the the black, the bag of blood. Now you're going to have to. Explain the, the the whole situation of bag of blood. This is definitely a new one on me. Well, you, you know, the bully, you know, you know. I suppose I'm wired completely. My wife would say I'm wired completely different than anybody else. So that that's fine. So you have to kind of accept these type of things. So maybe the week coming up is to go with the kind of championship. You know, you're looking, you're looking for different kind of ways of motivating lads, and you know that half time is going to come or before the game, you're going to have to kind of. Do something maybe that will grab their attention or shake one or two into into order or into orbit or whatever it may be and get them performing a bit better. So anyway, look at me. Um, in that Galway game, funny enough, half time was coming and and blah blah. blah. We hadn't played that quite. We hadn't played that well or as well as we could have. Had, but yet we were we were close enough. We were in touch. And uh, you know there was an opportunity maybe to beat them above Empire Stadium and go on to a Connacht final and. Um, you know, Tommy came in and he just vaguely remembered that around the dressing room and everyone was having, you know, everyone was having their usual cha-cha and wondering, you know, what they're going to do and Greg stood up and Deneen and Frankie and as captain, you're kind of, you're just waiting for that moment, you know, that moment in time that's your own time, your own 30 seconds of of of, of peace with them and, and just try to kind of maybe, you know, get, get something into their heads that could make a difference. So, Tommy his speech and I said, look at that, come on, we got, you know, you know the usual stuff, you're getting them all together and blah, blah, blah. And I just, I had the blood in my bag that, that I carefully prepared that, that week when my wife carefully prepared it to be fair because I'd come home from the doctors after taking the pint of blood off my arm and uh, I just threw it in a plastic bag on top of that, on top <laughs> of the shelves. You can't do that. You can't do it in a nursery. You, know, well, you have to put that in the freezer to just protect it. So anyhow, I, I, I done that and, and uh, brought it with me and... Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus, it was funny because when I think about you know, you know how you're looking for that moment you know you just grab somebody or you hit something on the floor or you hammer the table or whatever it might be you know but it's just lucky that the blood bags that the, 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 the blood bags are extremely robust <laughs> uh, they're very very robust and luckily enough because a pint of blood while it doesn't sound like an awful you know a pint of Guinness isn't an awful actually drinking it it's only a pint of Guinness, like, you know, you, you'd love one now. But a pint of blood can do a serious, serious amount of, like, you know, they, they, what do you call it, the film Mel, Mel Gibson was in, um, Braveheart, you know. It was like one of those kind of moments, you know. So I got the bag of blood anyhow. Really, the coup d'etat was coming, and I hammered the blood bag right into the floor, right? No one really understood what the bloody hell was in there. This was common blood. I told them it was my blood. And blah, 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 let's go. And we still this blood. And we fucking beat Galway today, you know. But the blood bag didn't burst. <laughs> Luckily, you know. And did you, uh, did, you, did, did, you expe- did you expect the blood bag to burst and burst onto people and there was everyone go, ah, that's it. It's terrible. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the captain and I was 
Luckily enough, it fucking didn't burst, you know, because if it burst, it would have been a scene, you know, it would have been carnage altogether. Oh, yeah. Um, apparently, it's not that the thing you want, you know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, well, uh, yeah funny enough, Carl Mannion actually would say that he, I, I, you got that blood from a cow or a sheep or something like that, you know, <laughs> no, Carlo. I had to get it from myself, Carlo. I couldn't get it from a sheep out in the field, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those. Maybe, now, maybe, maybe that's the story John Mahon heard. <laughs> well, maybe that's the story John Mahon heard. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what, what I'm sure he, he probably would have told plenty of stories, but you look at uh, that. Just 
it was nice to be involved and nice to be asked to be involved to do something like that uh, at a time when they were changing the rules, you know. Maybe they could change it for, 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 for uh, free kick, you know, and let fellas take free off the ground, you know, that way. No, I don't think it will. Come here, Shane. I've taken up enough of your time. I'm looking forward. Well, listen, I'm sure everyone else is looking forward tonight to it tonight. I've already seen it. You haven't. So I'm sure you're looking forward to it. So it's on Lake Regale. is on at half nine on TG Cahir tonight. I'm right in saying that? Uh, with trepidation, I hasten to add. <laughs> I'm, looking I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, I think the family I'm looking forward to it, maybe, you know, and as I said, um, huge honour. Um, and I'd like to thank everybody that, that's coached me and managed me or tried to manage me. Um, all the players I played with. And, and, you know, it's not been mentioned in the show, but obviously Athlone Town was a good part of my life as well. And some great people in that club over the years. And, um Look, I, I've been fortunate, Moody, I've, I've met some great people. I think that's really what, what gets lost in the whole lot. Uh, I've met, met some great people, have some great friends, uh, can go anywhere like yourself. Sometimes you get a bit of abuse, but what about? Um, you, you enjoy it, and uh, we all enjoy it, and we all enjoy trying to make, it, make a difference. And uh, I'd like to thank all those people that helped me throughout my career and throughout my life. Okay, great stuff, Shane. Thanks very much. Talk to you again. Thanks very much, William. Gentlemen. <laughs> And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go.